Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Battlefield Next. My name is Major Jason Coffey. Before we get started with this episode, let's do some housekeeping. The views expressed in the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the U.S. Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Today's episode is an interview of Brigadier General R. Patrick Houston, Assistant Judge Advocate General by Lieutenant Colonel Cinnamon Chielins and Major J.J. Wellemeyer. The episode is divided into three parts. Part one covers artificial intelligence. Part two discusses deepfake technology. And part three discusses the lessons learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. We join the episode already in progress. Sir, ma'am, thanks for being here with us today on the Battlefield Next podcast. Sir, I wanted to start with you. How do you define artificial intelligence and how is it being used on the battlefield today? Hey, JJ, thanks a lot for having me here. In simple terms, I'd say that AI is a technology enhancer, much like electricity, in that it doesn't actually accomplish anything on its own, but it enhances the capacity of everything with the computer processor, which is just about everything out there. Now, the part that makes AI unique that really needs to come into consideration is that AI learns and changes. It evolves over time. So what you have on Monday is different than what you have on Friday, and that's very important. And why is it important to the military, the Pentagon? Because we are the number one technology user in the world, and we have almost a thousand formal AI programs out there that affect everything we do from the front lines to the back offices. All right, sir. Another thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, we hear about artificial intelligence a lot in the the news, and and I think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there, sometimes about Skynet, killer robots, things of that nature. Could you maybe address for people who who aren't super involved um, with artificial intelligence, maybe do they have actual fears with some of those things coming to fruition? Yeah, I think the most important thing to know is that of these thousand AI projects that we have in the Pentagon, the vast majority of them are completely benign, innocuous projects that are a lot like we would see in in any other big bureaucracy or corporation where we're trying to use AI to gain efficiencies and and save save costs. Smart maintenance programs are an important part of that. You see that throughout the logistics industry and the commercial sector. In the military, we have thousands of aircraft and ships and and hundreds of thousands of vehicles where smart maintenance can save us literally billions of dollars out there but all sorts of other areas with across the military such as recruiting telemedicine self-driving supply trucks within the legal field we see things like e-discovery to dramatically increase the capability of our discovery tools our court reporters are using voice recognition software to create verbatim records of trial. Uh, we see synthetic flight training across all of the services using things like augmented and virtual reality. Again, the vast majority of the AI systems that we have are for these benign and innocuous uses. There are definitely some efforts out there to leverage AI in weapons. Some of them are for defensive weapons. They've been in use for a long time, several decades in some cases. And those are actually not that controversial. It's the potential uses in offensive autonomous weapons, the so-called killer robots, that get all the attention and stir all the controversy. So for those of the population like me who's not too savvy on this stuff, 
how do we take it from maybe calling it AI to something like smart tech? Because a lot of people think of the things you've just talked about and they think that's just smart technology. That's the Roomba in my house. That's Alexa. That's GPS. That's not what they think of when they think AI. When they think AI, they think of the big, the bad, the scary. And I've asked this question to you several times, mostly in jest, but when will the robots turn on us? And I think that is for the population, a lot of the questions of when they hear of this AI and the military connection, they're not thinking about logistics chain and ordering and, and recruiting and, and e-stuff and while they're thinking these killer drones are out to get us and no one's going to have any oversight and it's all going to be madness. Well, the first, the first thing I'd say, CJ, is that we're going to put you in charge of marketing because I like <laughs> that smart tech thing. That, that makes perfect sense to me. Sometimes it is just in the terminology and the marketing. You've got to let, make people feel more comfortable with this stuff because it could be incredibly helpful. But secondly, I'll tell you that nobody wants to see these robots turning on their creators and taking over the world. Is it possible? Absolutely. A thousand science fiction novels and movies have been made about this. And of course it's possible. We have to be very careful with this technology. We have to build in fail safes. We have to look at ways to have kill switches and make sure that this stuff doesn't go awry. It has potential to do that. That's why we absolutely need the best and the brightest who are concerned about ethics and concerned about how this stuff works to be deeply involved in partnering with us to make sure that this does happen correctly. So I know that you have done a ton of partnerships with various academic private companies in terms of the DOD and the Pentagon's push towards AI. And I'd like you to kind of talk about some of those and how we can convince people that they're great projects to work on. Because again, you'll have the Google, the Microsoft people who say, we don't want to work on anything that's a DOD contract because they're out to kill people. So how do we kind of make sure those partnerships are strengthened um, and help us kind of keep at the forefront with, with also allaying people's fears that you're working on more than just maybe what they're concerned about? It's all through engagement. We have to convince them. They have to understand just how committed we are to ensuring that what we do is not just legal, but ethical. In many cases, we can leverage this technology to improve the way warfare is executed and, and such as reducing civilian casualties out there. People don't understand that this could really help things and improve the, the nature of, of the business that we're in out there. And so we have to engage them and let them know that we are just as committed to the right outcomes as they are. And by working together, we can help achieve those outcomes. Sarah, a moment ago, you mentioned legal and ethical issues with AI. Could you talk a little bit about some of the legal and ethical challenges that the DOD faces in this realm? Yeah, there are quite a few. I'll kind of hone in on three of them. The first is the importance for our lawyers of infusing the legal considerations early in the development process of any of these systems. For example, if you have a facial recognition program that can identify every enemy soldier that's out there, we also need to ensure that it's thinking about being able to identify a Red Cross armband that would make someone not a legitimate target or someone who is raising her hands in surrender and would no longer be a legitimate target out there. We have to ensure that this is early on in the coding process. The second thing I'd think about is making sure that we understand that changing nature of the systems. And what that means is that because the system changed, what you have on Monday might not be what you have on Friday. We have to think about periodically updating our legal reviews. And third and finally, I'd say we have to understand the concept of human machine teaming. In simple terms, I would say that there are things that humans do better than machines. We know this, judgment, common sense, but there are other things that machines can do better than humans. Injecting mass amounts of data and rapidly processing it. The secret is to leverage each for their respective strengths. 
It does not have to be either humans or machines. You want to put them together in a way that really does get the best of both. And that's an important consideration. That's more of an ethical consideration than a legal one, but it's very important. Sir, one of the things that the guys and I had kind of thrown around last time we had this discussion was a lot of my friends out of the military, kind of out of this sphere, don't understand the concept of big power competition. Uh, they understand what war is, but a lot, you know, moving forward, we may not be in direct conflict, but we have these huge big power uh, competitions and they don't yet understand the strategy of what that means to stay a part of that and why it's important to be involved and, and stay on the forefront of that. And so the whole China Russia thing and, and how these other people are, are formulating new things, they don't quite make the link between why that's important for, you know, national sovereignty, national protection, war fighting versus kind of just the, I get my cheap phone, phone from China. So how do we kind of help educate, not just our own people, but the people that we have to convince to get the funding, to get the technology, to get the research done, that these are big deals and, and, and why it's important that we think so far ahead when it's living in a kind of a instant, instantaneous fast food society? I think if you, if you look at this big picture, it's a race and you, you don't just have to be developing good technology, you have to be developing it faster than your competitors out there. That's, that's the, the, the whole concept. And you have, we have to play by the rules and we will always play by the rules. So if we're gonna play by the rules, we wanna stay ahead of the competition, we have to move quickly and we have to do this properly. That's our goal, that's our plan, is to win, win legitimately by the rules. And I believe that if, as long as we have the advantage out there that we that provides stability in this world because we are the ones who would use anything responsibly and that that creates global stability. How do we convince these other people though in our population that while we're trying to do things the right way, the legal, the ethical way that we want to keep a human in the loop to make sure that mistakes aren't made, our, our power comp competitors are not necessarily taking the same kind of constraints on their production of things. How do we kind of allay those fears of our public as we're trying to get involved in this race. I think it just underscores the importance of us. We know we're gonna do this right. We know we're gonna play by the rules. So we just have to advance the cause and we, and we need industry in order to do it. It has to be a partnership moving forward. Sir, much of our audience is comprised of judge advocates, whether they be reservists or active duty. And many of those judge advocates are company grade and field grade officers serving at the brigade and division levels. What would you say to judge advocates serving in those positions who might encounter some AI issues in their job? I'd say a, a couple of things they need to be aware of. The first, we already discussed the changing nature and how that impacts our legal reviews. But we have to also think about how that impacts our clients, commanders out there. And I think as we advise our commanders on leveraging their systems, our clients, they need to know what these systems are going to do at least have a reasonable understanding of what the system's going to do and not do. They don't have to understand exactly how the AI works, exactly how the coding or the, the, the computations are done, but they have to have a fair understanding of if they leverage the system, a likely outcome is going to be X or Y, and it's probably not going to do Z. That is reasonable and that's important for us to advise our clients on. More broadly, I would say is the understanding that we, we discussed about that these technologies are often being generated in the civilian and commercial sectors out there, and they're then migrating to the military. And what this means is exactly what we've been talking about. There's going to be increased cooperation and collaboration between the government, 
and private industry. What we have to do as judge advocates, as legal advisors to commanders out there, is help guide them through the, the issues that they're going to encounter when ensuring that their clients can work with companies, such as the ethics rules, the contracting rules, and just dealing with the inherent conflicts of interest that could arise out there. We have to help our clients do this right. We have amazing clients, and this is part of the art of lawyering, is, and it's really satisfying is when you can help your client get through this and, uh, and be successful in the end. That's what this is all about. This concludes part one of episode 10. To continue listening, please click on part two of episode 10.